0: Well, good morning, Center Church. It is good to see you. Welcome, welcome to the room. The room is awesome. The room is good. The room is kind of warm. Like that feels good. I'm excited about that. That is something to be praised rather than in our time.
1: Um,
0: one of the interesting things about working uh, just for a church and with the church, uh, it's funny because anytime John Michael hosts, I secretly just pray, God, give me that hair. You know what I'm saying? Like he is such a gift to our staff, but it's also just a. Real First. So, anyway. <laughs> I'm thankful for just our staff and the team every single week that, that put in a lot of hours that you never see into making images this happen so I just want to
1: thank uh, them for their efforts and those of you serve, thank you for doing that. And it's funny because as you look back over the course of
0: 2020 there's a lot of things that you and I didn't do that we normally would do and some of that for us was just trips and vacations. And some of you are seasoned past people in places like Cinch Flags or Cedar Point. And that's like a summer ritual that your family's kind of got ingrained into the fabric of just all your, all your summer events uh, circulated around those places. I remember the first time I went to Cedar Point, number one, I thought I was going to die. Uh, I thought it was just, this was it. And perished. I should have never came here. And second, at the very end, I was like, "When can I come back?" Like this is absolutely the best thing I've ever experienced in my entire life. It was amazing. Uh, but I get that there's kind of two types of people that walk into amusement park, and there's two types of people in this room when it comes to amusement parks. Some of you love roller coasters. Who are my roller coaster people in the room? Okay, okay, well, perfect. Both hands up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Part of the pun. Um, but there's also a group of you in here who are like, who in the world would pay to do something like that? So let me see those people because we're, we've are we got some familiarity here. Okay, perfect, my wife is in that camp. We have never, ever gone to an amusement park together. Seven years of marriage is just not gonna happen. I just don't see that in my future. Uh, some of you, uh, it's like a deathly fear. Others of you, it's like, yeah, I just don't like it. Um, to illustrate the fact that there really are two pretty clear types of people, I'll show you just a quick video that, uh, this came out a bunch of years ago, but anytime I think about experiences of music, part this is what I think of, <laughs> oh, I think I'll check it out. Lay your
1: back. Just keep your all the way back. Oh. Yeah. Okay. okay. Stop. Janice! <laughs> Woo! Look, there's a camera. Hi! Get ready? We're getting ready. Spring. Keep your head back. Feet on the rail.
0: I was gonna die. Um, as you look at your life though, I mean, there's probably areas where uh, people face the exact same set of circumstances. So, Janice and Co were facing the exact same roller coaster through amusement park ride and yet responded quite differently to it. I mean, the kid could not be any more polar opposite than what Janice is. She's laughing and smiling and looking at him almost sliding through the seatbelt and just pure joy and ecstasy, but he is not having the same experience. And uh, as I look at that and look at even our world, and uh, one of the things that I tend to do and I actually get sometimes again get, i get really deep into it is the kind of practice of reflection looking back and trying to analyze what happened there or what is happening there and as i reflected even just a couple of weeks ago on just all the kind of the course of events that happened in the year 2020 uh, i looked at it and really what i noticed is true in your family is true in our church is even just true in our world anyone who really calls himself a christian experiences is that all of us in 2020 faced a very similar, sure there were nuances, but very similar set of circumstances. And yet there were people who at the end of the year were absolutely just decimated spiritually. And there were other people who actually would say, Yeah, 2020 was the year that I grew the most spiritually. Some of you
1: literally said that verbatim, 2020 was the year for me that, that changed everything, my
0: trust got deeper, my hope got more secure, my relationships actually got better somehow in the midst of all these trials and these very difficult circumstances, others of you, uh, there are people that are not in this room, I'm not talking to them because they're not here, they, they're, it was a habit that was quickly broken on March 15th and there has not really been that same vibrancy or or life to their relationship with god as there once was just a little over a year ago how is that possible but for real like how is that possible to face the same set of circumstances and yet have two completely different outcomes and results and even responses because when things are hard and you in our own world, when things are hard, some of us tend to escape and to run the opposite direction. When there's a test, maybe in our lives, whether it's a physical test in school or just a test that we feel like God is putting us through, maybe it's about faith, maybe it's physical suffering or, or a diagnosis, when you feel like, okay, God is kind of testing my faith here, some of us run the opposite direction while others of us embrace that opportunity. We embrace the testing. And what I think is really interesting that as you look at our world today, I would say all of us as Christians, as followers of Jesus, have the opportunity right now to either escape and run to other things or to embrace some of the tests that God may be placing in our lives. Now that could be personal, that could be as macro scale as as the economy or political system that we're in, it could be uh, as micro as a decision you have to make tomorrow. But we all have the opportunity in our lives to escape the test God place or to
1: embrace them. And so, all that being said, I want to take us into Revelation today. As we journey through,
0: we began the journey with Ephesus last Sunday. And the Ephesian church faced a lot of similar uh, obstacles and challenges that the church we're going to look at today is. So, if you have a Bible or you want to scroll there, Revelation 2, we're going to start in verse 8. And uh, look at this very short letter. It's one of the shortest letters John writes in all of Revelation to the church in Smyrna. I'm going to read it, and I want to talk about it. So, in verse eight, here's what John writes. He says to the angel, of the church in Smyrna, write. These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. Pause, in case you missed it. He's talking about Jesus. This this is the Messiah. This is the Christ. This is our Savior. Verse 9, John writes to the Smyrna Christians. He says, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews but are not. But instead are a synagogue of Satan. Don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful. Even to the point of death, I will give you life. As your victors crown. whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. A lot in there. But actually in Smyrna, this is the only letter we're going to study in these seven churches in which Smyrna is commended for how they are living and how they are thinking and acting and not condemned for anything. Every other church has a kind of criticism sandwich, like this is a good thing you're doing, this is a very not good thing you're doing, this is a good thing you're doing, but Smyrna doesn't have any of that in it, it's just a commendation, it's an encouragement, it's a, a kind of pat on the back spiritually for how they're doing Smyrna is interesting because as uh, we've looked at that map over and over again, but as you kind of trace the journey, this mail route essentially starts in Ephesus, goes to Smyrna, and then we're working our, our way around into kind of a clockwise circle. But Smyrna, not that far from Ephesus, is also one of the most influential cities in the Roman Empire. Smyrna was around 100,000 people. Smyrna was a hub for marketplace and trading and commerce. In fact, uh, this place called the Agora, this beautiful marketplace there's still ruins today of uh, this, this marketplace in which people would come from all over the empire to trade and to buy things they couldn't buy anywhere else. It was one of the most affluent cities in the entire region of Asia. It's modern day Turkey in which it's placed right now. And that's interesting because John writes to them, I know you are poor. Right? He said that. I I know that you are facing poverty. And in Smyrna, again, one of the most wealthy, affluent regions of the Roman Empire, and yet the Smyrna Christians, for whatever reason, were incredibly poor. And the word is not poor as in, like, you're lower middle class. That's kind of how we think of poor. Like, oh, you're like kind of lower to lower middle class. Actually, in Smyrna, they're talking about abject poverty in the sense that you are borderline homeless, not sure how you're getting your next meal, not sure how you're going to send your kids to school, not sure how you're going to buy new clothes for the next year. I mean, abject poverty, situations you and I likely have never faced before in our lives growing up in a Western Michigan culture, which that's pretty rare, especially for those of us who get to live where we live. And yet this was a reality for Smyrna Christians. The abject poverty they were facing. Uh, but it begs the question, why were, was the church in Smyrna poor in the one of the wealthiest regions of the entire empire? Well, you get the clue as you're digging into the church in Smyrna that in Smyrna, just as David talked about last week in Ephesus, there was incredible pressure from the Roman, Roman government to not worship Jesus as Lord, but to worship the emperor as Lord.
1: Within this, I mean, just picture this scenario. This was an everyday occurrence for a Smyrna Christian. You're going to the marketplace. You walk by a massive statue, beautiful,
0: possibly chipped out of marble or gold or something more costly than those things at the time. As you look to your right, Emperor Domitian stands there, Son of God, Lord of Lords, King of Kings, and you're thinking in your head, "That's what Jesus called himself." This is what how John starts some of these letters, identifying who Jesus, what Jesus said about himself. You get into the temple area, near the synagogue in which you are headed to worship. You're passing through these Roman checkpoints. Maybe this was your dad, or your spouse, or your cousin, or your best friend. You walk up to this checkpoint, and they ask, do you have that certificate? And you kind of fumble through your jacket, and you don't have that certificate. The certificate was every time they, they wanted worship to emperors, Domitian, or Nero, or whatever, you'd burn a little incense as a way of saying, I am sacrificing myself. For the good of the emperor, for the Roman Empire, Jesus is not Lord, the current emperor is Lord, and they would give you a certificate say, good job, you passed the test, you're not a real Christian, you're off the hook. But if you're in the church in Smyrna, the reason you were poor, the reason you couldn't go to the same markets, everyone, the reason you didn't get to walk through the Agora without fear of getting yanked out of your booth. Is because you had refused to say Caesar is Lord and kept claiming Jesus is Lord. You didn't get that certificate. You were burning incense. You were at the bottom of the economy because you'd made a decision to choose Jesus as Lord instead of Domitian. This is Smyrna. This is a, a daily occurrence for them. And not only is there external pressures, which would sometimes result in death or imprisonment, which John writes about here, right? You get served serve the 10-day sentence, and they would wait every single day. Hey, are you going to, like, kind of renounce you? He says, Lord, you can get out of here, like, today if you want. And they would stand there and be faithful and resolute, some of them even dying martyrs' death in the arena. This is Smyrna. This is the culture. So not only are they facing the external pressures, and you and I literally don't know what that feels like. I mean, that, that feels otherworldly to us. But the global church knows what that feels like. There are countries all around the world in which that is a daily conversation where pastors go to the church not sure if they're going to come back in one piece, literally. This is what the global church experiences. And Smyrna gives us a look into that. So they have these external pressures. The internal pressures were also there. That's why John writes about the synagogue of Satan, which is like the worst nickname you ever could get. Right? You're literally a church full of Satan worshipers. That's what you are. If he ever calls center church that, that would be a problem for us, and yet that happened because what was occurring in this Roman-influenced city of Smyrna was that Jews who had previously held the kind of the pillars of the faith, one Lord, they followed Yahweh, they did, they kept the Sabbath, they practiced Jewish practices, had begun because of some of these pressures to get these certificates, had, had begun renouncing even their Jewish faith and saying, "Okay, I guess." I guess we can still be Jews and worship the Emperor. I guess we can maybe hold on to Jewish traditions and customs. We can still go to the synagogue, but their hearts have begun drifting away from the one true God. They begin worshiping the Emperor. And so Jesus calls them a synagogue, synagogue of Satan, not because he's mean, but because they've lost sight of what was most important. They had failed the test. And there's something that Smyrna Christians understood, you and I often forget, be included. That we learn things in testing that we can't learn anywhere else. We learn things in suffering. We learn things in counseling. We learn things through pain sometimes that actually we can't learn Anywhere else. We learn things in testing that we can't learn anywhere else. And here it says that, that somehow the, the devil plays a role in testing. I'm not sure how that works. I mean, you and I have probably read the book of Job or, or heard a sermon on it once or twice. That's still a mystery to me. I'm not sure how that all pans out perfectly. And one of the first questions I'll ask the Lord is why did that happen? Why did bad things happen to good people? I'm not sure why testing occurs in your life or in my life. I just know that it does. And I know that it has the opportunity because I've seen it in you and in me to
1: refine us, to make us better, to help us grow, or cause us to run to all of the sinful places we wanna run when things get hard. We either embrace it
0: or we run the opposite direction. But friends, what Smyrna wants to teach us, we learn things in testing we can't learn anywhere else. And and let's be real a second, as we sit here, In Byron Center, Michigan, we're not living in modern-day Turkey, we're not living in the time of the Smyrna Christians. It's often hard for us to associate with them. I don't think in Byron Center, Michigan, our struggle is facing testing and what we do with it. I think our struggle is just avoiding testing altogether. We don't like getting tested. We don't like when things face us that we disagree with. We don't like having moments of physical pain. We don't like when when we know God's way is to handle our money a certain way, but the new truck looks so much better than that way.
1: <laughs> we don't like that. We don't like those things being tested. We
0: don't like being able to coast through school or coast through a job and not give our best, even though God may be saying, to honor me is to give your best. We don't like when God steps on our toes. We don't like getting tested. And honestly, I've been in churches around the world, almost every single continent, and the American church today, I would not say it's persecuted, but I would say we're being tested. And there's a big difference. I think there's opportunity in testing. I think there's chances for you and I to learn things that we can't learn anywhere else. Let me take this one step further. Here's what makes this so tough is that you and i almost every single one of us in the room with very few exceptions we live and breathe in social media algorithms that affirm everything we already believe about the world about other people about other political parties i mean you name it there's a lot of things Uh, what i face every day is if i start to believe everyone on the right everyone that's a conservative everyone that believes that that conservative values are the way forward,
1: well, they're all Nazis, privileged, greedy,
0: racist, weird rednecks. That's all they are. Then I'm going to probably easily find pastors and verses and memes and blog posts that affirm what I already believe. And the same is true on the other side, if I can step on a few toes, right? Like, if I believe everyone on the left is a Marxist global, And verses and memes and blog posts that just affirm what I already believe. I, I don't get tested very often. And yet, the Smyrna Christians are teaching us that there are things you learn in testing. You, there are things you learn when you get faced with a different belief. There are things you learn when you have to walk through a cancer journey with a family member that you can't learn anywhere else. That, that is so easy to miss. It's so easy to live insulated and comfortable and that we don't get challenged on really anything in our lives. I want to give you two truths that is, you see it right here in the text, this letter to the Smyrna Christians, you feel it. Uh, truth number one is that testing causes pain. It's like the least popular thing ever, right? Testing causes pain. Uh, you know this if you've ever tried to start, and some of you are in the middle of this, right? Did you ever start to try to New Year's Resolution I'm going to work out five days a week is that first week comfortable if you're doing it right now right? it's painful there are things that stretch their muscles you didn't know you had there are things underneath your armpit you didn't know there there's muscles there and they start to get sore and hurt there are ways you walk that are different in the first week and when you uh, finally get the knack of it the same is true for healthy eating right there's Certain things you're like, I love Swiss cake rolls, but that's going to be painful to put away because I've got to eat kale instead, right? or whatever, maybe a weird leafy grain of choice. Like, as you look at those things, that, that's not a comfortable experience. It's actually pretty painful. Uh, a pastor who I respect from afar, his name is Whit George, he's a pastor of a church in Oklahoma. He said this a few weeks ago about this holiday idea. He said, pain is the price of potential. Everyone already knows that in this room. That is not a shock, I don't think, to any of you. But so few of us are willing to walk through the test because it causes pain, because it makes us uncomfortable, because it forces us to reckon sometimes our beliefs with Scripture, sometimes our approach to a coworker with the love of God, sometimes our finances with the heavenly point of view. And and so we just don't go through testing. But if you want to grow spiritually, if you want to take steps forward, pain is the price to get there. And sometimes, again, that's just pain of a belief having to be changed. Sometimes that's pain of walking through physical suffering in order for God to refine and purify your character. You know this in the middle of 40 hours of labor if you're a mom
1: in the room. You know this in the middle of that new health habit or the 99th
0: push-up. Uh, You know this in the middle of a long drive home from counseling. You know this in the middle of the surgery as you wait for your loved one sipping a mediocre waiting room coffee. You know this, that testing causes pain. But you learn things in testing you can't learn anywhere else. And so God gives us opportunities. Truth number two, testing causes pain. Truth number two, testing causes victory. This is the good news of of this letter to Smyrna. There are things you learn in testing that you can't learn anywhere else, and sometimes that's a different layer or level of victory and spiritual fruit that you can't experience if you don't go through the test. Again, that's why I love at the very end of this passage, uh, John writes about the victor's crown. You kind of have imagery of the Olympics, right? Which started in the Greco-Roman Empire. They were familiar when people win a competition to be placed with this crown or sometimes a wreath or laurels on top of their head. Pain is the price of potential, but sometimes testing causes victory. It's why he writes about this, uh, kind of the hidden beauty of this idea of victor's crown is that it's actually the Greek word Nike some of you are wearing right now like we are wearing and the brand literally stands for victory or victor's crown and that's the word used here to these smyrna christians they were familiar and and nike has this actually other world dimension to it as well it's not just victory like you won a game good job it has the idea of a supernatural dimension to it nike is not like you just had a major success at work it's actually you just experienced the taste of heaven in this victory and that's why john can write to smyrna christians whose best friends died in the arena and say you're going to get victory you're going to experience even in the midst of a roman prison that's dark cold wet and you don't get to see your family for a week and a half people like polycarp who are really heroes of the christian faith as you trace the christian story polycarp is this martyr who goes down in, in the history of global christianity for the way that he died. This martyr, guess where Polycarp lived and what church he was a part of? smart martyr. He's writing to people just like him. It's a victory bigger than what our world celebrates or what our world even fights for. The victor's crown. Uh, last summer, Uh, Lindsay and I took about a week to go to Asheville. North Carolina. how many of you have been to Asheville or just are familiar with the area? Okay, perfect. It's a really, really quirky, weird place. (laughs) I didn't expect that. I was like, the South, my parents are from, uh, basically most of my family lives in Mississippi, Louisiana, Alabama, Florida, Georgia. Like, they're just all spread out in the South. That's kind of what I was thinking of. Asheville is not that way. But what Asheville has going for it is some incredible mountains, incredible places to hike and to run, uh, if you've been around center for like a week, you know Lindsay and I like to do that together. And we decided to go to Asheville for the food, but also because Mount Mitchell is there, which some of you maybe have heard of, or maybe you've hiked it. It's the highest peak east of the Mississippi. And so it's one of the last few days that Lindsay and I are in Asheville, and I said, can we please do Mount Mitchell? Like, that's all I want to do. I want to do something that feels semi-epic. I'm go to breweries and eat burgers all day. Like, let's, let's go and do that. And so we did it. We drove, it was about 45 minutes to an hour away from our Airbnb. So we drive there and the weather's really perfect. I mean, it's not too hot, not too cold. We start up the mountain. It's quite steep. I don't remember the exact uh, like details of it, but I remember it was a couple thousand feet, just pretty much straight up. Like there was no flat, there was no downhill. It's straight up the side of the mountain and to get down you go, Straight back down. And so we begin the slog up this mountain. We finally get to like the top and I see this pavement and it was really throwing me off. I was like, what is this pavement? And I found see all these happy families walking from their cars. <laughs> what is that? Like, we're so lazy. They literally drove the whole way up, park, and then you walk like a quarter mile up to the the peak of Mount Mitchell and get to take your picture and then walk back down and get your smoothie and,
1: and leave. Like, that's kind of what you do. And so, Lindsay and I kind of emerging from this jungle
0: of the North Carolina forest felt like, oh my gosh, I almost just lost my life in this. And that kid is just running up this little hill. And so, We finally get to the top, and I'm like, well, the the view's worth it, right? If you've ever hiked anything that has kind of a a nice view, you're like, okay, I I can, like, churn through these woods. If you've been to, like, Empire, Michigan, you remember, like, the sand, it's kind of a hike up there, but the view's incredible. That was the same thing, and so I was like, Lindsay, it'll be worth it. We get to the top. We go up the little ramp to the very peak. Fog everywhere. (laughs) Just fog ever. The thickest greatest fall you've ever seen. I don't think I saw one other part, other than the feet, like where my feet were. And five minutes later, I'm like, well, i are like, we gotta head back down. <laughs> that was all our experience at Mount Mitchell was. Uh, we finally get back down the mountain, we head home a, a few days later. We're driving back, and as I reflect now, I mean, that wasn't even a year ago, as I reflect now, there was parts of my world, spiritually, personally, even maybe vocationally, that I look at and felt like I've been climbing all year long and I feel like I finally got to the peak or I got a chance to, to have a break and it's just fall. Some of you know what that feels like. You know what it's like to work so hard and feel like you got no clarity for the future. Work so hard in a relationship and it's just not getting better. Work so hard to be a good steward budget well and then there's that other bill you forgot about <laughs> like you know what that's like i felt like that and so for the 10 12 hour drive home Lindsay and i just kind of talked about the fog we talked about the tension she was feeling in her job and what i was feeling just personally and even spiritually and like i didn't know what to do next so even the building for us the church was not super clear at that point there were still some unknowns and i remember driving back from there and feeling like, and I look back now, I didn't have this kind of clarity, but I look back now, and I believe that season of my life, God was testing me. He was testing my faithfulness. He was testing my integrity. He was testing my relationship with Lindsay. He was testing a lot of things, maybe testing us as a church. Some of you, maybe would agree with that. Like just, there was a test before us. It was painful, but since there could be some victory on the other side, and so... We get to uh, September, and we just both said, like, this month, this last couple months of 2020, we're just going to open our hands. We're going to embrace the test. And I didn't even know what that meant. I wasn't sure what that was going to feel like or look like, but there were some really uncertain days in our home. We're just sitting there like, I don't know what you're doing in us or in our jobs or in... Our finances or in our families, I'm just not sure. Like, we climbed the mountain, it still feels like it's kind of foggy, but we're just going to open our hands to you. Whatever you want to do, you can do it. That was kind of our attitude. And so we decided we're going to move forward with the building. We're going to press into that. It felt like so many confirmations, even some of you in the room, just divine words from God, like, go for it. We need to do it. So we did it. And uh, we kind of shared that challenge on Sunday, Well, that Thursday is the day Lindsay and I find out we're pregnant. And I was like, okay, God, what the heck? (laughs) Like, If there's ever a time to be secure and have everything figured out, it's when you're about to have a baby, right? Well, I learned quickly that's a farce, and I never feel that way even now. (laughs) But as we journeyed through it, that was on a Thursday, and I kind of got up with love in my throat. So I think this is what God wants us to do. Will you join me in prayer? Will you join me in giving? And... stepped up and we're moving forward but i look back on that and i remember how clearly that uncertainty felt and yet the, the overwhelming sense the entire time was not like a confidence in myself or my own ability it was an overwhelming sense that god was with us i didn't know the outcomes or the results We've been praying that God would give us a kid, and then that happened. And we're like, okay, that's pretty awesome. But the rest of life feels a little shaky. COVID's still a thing. We're reopening the church to together. All these things were happening. We're going to move forward with this facility. That's an unknown. But just says over and over that Jesus was still good. This character was still true. I could trust him. And he was with us, walking with us as a couple, as a church. Just felt that over and over and over again. And I was reminded in, uh, in that season of Hebrews 4.15. I want us to read this out loud together. Some of you know this verse. Uh, some of you, this is the first time you ever read it. Would you read it with me? For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tested in every way as we are, yet without sin. I was reminded of that that Jesus himself was tested in every single way that I've ever been tested and ever will be tested. And yet his character, his identity, his person was forged and refined and purified in the testing. Even Jesus knew that there's things you learn in testing you can't learn anywhere else. So, friends, today, wherever you sit, whatever circumstances you're facing, where do you need to embrace testing? Is there an area, a relationship, a decision, physical pain or suffering that you just say, God, I'm gonna stop running from all these and being so annoyed at you for putting them in my life. I'm just gonna learn what it means to embrace them. And that's not to say God arbitrarily drops suffering in your lap or arbitrarily causes loved ones to be gone too soon. I don't believe that at all. But I do believe there are seasons of life which God tests us, and they're there to help us learn, to help us grow, and to build our faith, and sometimes it just takes opening the hands up, saying, God, I'm just going to release my control, I'm going to release the outcomes, and results, and I'm just going to open my hand, see, whatever you want to give me in this, I'm going to receive it. So what I want to do, we're going to sing, we're going to worship, we're going to close out
1: our time. The way we always do is just by responding to God. But I want to encourage you just to close
0: your eyes. I want to pray specifically for you. Uh, just as a way to focus before we sing. I'm going to encourage you. You don't have to do this. But I'm going to do this as a symbol. I'm going to clench my fists together. I'm going to close them right in front of me right now. And if some of you want to do this as just a physical example of what you're doing. I encourage you to join. me. So God, I just with clenched fists. Know that there are things even today that I'm trying to hold on to. There are decisions,
1: there are dreams, there are agendas, there are beliefs that I want to
0: control and micromanage. And today, God, with my friends and my brothers and sisters, I just open my hands to you and I release those. Say, God use the circumstances in my life and in our lives to refine us. Help us to grow. To help us to lean on you, to relinquish our independence and fully place dependence on you. And even in the testing, God, I pray that you would teach us,
1: that you'd open us up to what your spirit wants to do. We pray in Jesus' name.